Very nice. Thanks, Life. Um, so as uh, Life has mentioned, today we're really focusing on the CLC Genomics Cloud Module. Um, oh, let me just get my slides going. Uh, just to keep the lawyers happy, obviously, you know, what we're looking at today are some bioinformatics types of software that are intended for uh, molecular biology types of applications and not diagnosis, prevention, or treatment of disease. Um, and really, oh, I, I try to take today's agenda and, and kind of pose it more like as of, you know, questions and, and sort of addressing questions that we often get, like, you know, what are the overall functions of like the, the CLC genomics workbench? Um, you know, just so we understand, uh, you know, where, where and what we're able to do with it. Um, you know, why leverage the cloud uh, and get into some of the reasons why, you know, some of the customers that we've uh, been working with have started moving or leveraging our cloud module. And I think from an end user perspective, really important just to understand, you know, how do I run a workflow on the cloud? And really just, you know, what tools do I need or what information do I need to have? How do I retrieve my results from the, you know, after I run this workflow? Um, and for the more IT types of folk that are on the call, you know, really, you know, how do I set up this genomic uh, cloud infrastructure uh, on AWS? And of course, the things like maybe how can I integrate third-party tools, uh, you know, to incorporate within workflows uh, and run them on the cloud as well. So as I said, kind of taking the agenda, putting it more into questions rather than just straight up bullet points of what we're going to talk about. Um, but first and foremost, as I had mentioned, just really an overview of uh, Kyogen's uh, Digital Insight applications. Um, and really just to give everyone a sense, obviously, you know, Kyogen has, you know, kits for doing sequencing. Uh, we have software, the Kyogen CLC Genomics Platform, uh, for doing sort of secondary analysis, interpretation tools like Ingenuity Pathway Analysis, and of course, tools for sort of creating and generating reports. Today, what we're really focused on is what we call the Kyogen CLC Genomics Platform. And really what this platform is, and, and the reason why we call it a platform is that it's, it's actually a couple different tools or products wrap uh, in, in uh, to make up this platform. So first and foremost, the, the sort of CLC Genomics Workbench, uh, which is a you know tools that allow us to you know run a variety of different applications. And I'll talk about those in a minute. Uh, the CLC Genomics Server, and the CLC cloud uh, uh, cloud module or um, cloud infrastructure. And all of these tools um, have the ability to run a variety of different applications. And so when we talk about secondary analysis, this is where I'm referring to things like, all right, well, I'm running RNA-seq and I wanna get uh, counts and differential expression for, you know, between my case and control, or um, I'm doing a Genovo assembly uh, we're looking at chip seq or bisulfite sequencing, um, you know, doing read mapping to variant calling, microbiome profiling, um, cloning PCR design, long read assembly and analysis, uh, immune repertoire analysis, um, uh, isolate typing, single cell. I mean, really, the, there's a variety of applications, I think well in the order of about 275 different tools uh, within this application. Um, and so, to continue on to you know why we consider it sort of a platform and how you can scale within the application um and just to give you a way of you know how these uh everything works together um the clc genomics workbench is is really what most of our customers are familiar with 
Um, it's a graphical uh, user interface type of application. And what we're going to be able to use as one of the clients to uh, the cloud module. Um, in addition, we'll talk some a little bit about sort of our genomic server, um, which gives us just a little bit more flexibility with regards to, you know, running things with from the command line in, uh, in the command line interface. Um, extending the application through plugins. Uh, we'll talk about external application integration. Um, and so really within the server product, uh, it does allow for a lot of uh, support for what I'll call the bioinformatician who you know really wants to have scripts and things along those lines to, to run their jobs. And then from the back end point of view, we're gonna be looking at sort of storage and that can either be local storage, uh, S3 storage, things along those lines. Um, but that's really, you know, what we're talking about from an overall uh, overview of sort of the platform. Again, really a an application like the CLC Genomics Workbench, centralized kind of compute resources, whether it be local servers or uh, AWS, um, and then of course, you know, backend data uh, repository. So that's really just the kind of overall functions that I wanted to talk about by the CLC about the, the CLC Genomics Workbench. And I wanted to kind of talk about, well, why leverage the cloud? And there's been a couple of reasons that I've seen from our customers. Um, and one of the main reasons is that they've moved all their storage to S3, or they've even just moved all of their computational um, you know, resources to AWS. Um, and they've done that because, you know, it, from a cost perspective, you know, they don't have to maintain the machines, the hardware, the power. Uh, cooling them, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a, a large variety of reasons. I've heard several of them from different organizations. Um, in addition, you know, you may be sharing data with a collaborator via um, S3 buckets. Um, your data might be stored in base space, um, or you really you just have a large sample volume. Maybe you have to reprocess a large volume of samples. Uh, a new reference comes out or you want to modify a workflow and, and reprocess data after that's been done. Um, again, that may be reasons why to leverage the cloud. You can kind of think of it maybe as burst computing uh, if you don't have uh, the local infrastructure to sort of handle that. Um, in addition, one of the main reasons why I kind of use the cloud a lot more than um, you know anything else is really the just the lack of computational resource. Um, I have a little laptop. And so sometimes when I want to generate a case study, you know, I'm going to download a bunch of samples from, say, SRA or some, you know, publicly available resource um, and then maybe recapitulate an experiment or see if I can redo what was in a paper uh, or even find more information out from a data set than, than what you, they found uh, in that paper. And so for me, you know, from a lack of uh, just simply just a lack of computational resources at my fingertip, the cloud just really gives me that uh, ability to um, process the samples in a, in a timely manner. And that kind of leads us into, you know, other customers, they really need a short turnaround time. Uh, and so, you know, we can look at different applications that we have, one being Lightspeed, which is a, a really fast way of going from FastQ to VCF. And we can see that, you know, really it's driving costs down for them um, just because, you know, uh, time and and um, turnaround uh, uh, gets driven down by, you know, the application, the ability to run many samples at a time across the uh, AWS. Um, and so really just bringing that runtime down is really can be really important for uh, a lot of our customers in certain applications as well. So it's kind of why a lot of our customers have, you know, moved to or why they leverage the cloud. 
Um, and just really like to talk about, well, how do I run or how can you, you know, run workflows, pipelines on the cloud? And I always like to just say, well, wh what do we need first, right? So what are the, 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 the requirements? And so we need a license for the workbench, right? So we need to have a licensed CLC genomics workbench. Uh, we need access to the CLC Genomics Cloud infrastructure on AWS, uh, and that would be something that like an, a system admin would provide the information about like the credentials uh, that would be utilized for your secret key and things along those lines. Um, there is a plugin called the CLC Cloud Module that we would need to install, um, and then of course just tell the application that we're running that job on the cloud. And so we'll look at that real quickly in some slides, and then I'm going to show you how that would be done or executed in the application. Really, from a plugin support, um, it can't get much easier than, hopefully it can't get much easier than the way that we've made it. Um, there's just a plugin button in the upper right-hand corner that opens up a dialog box that allows us to either download plugins or manage the ones that we have installed. And you can imagine if you wanted to download a plugin, you would simply click on that download plugins and then choose the one that you want to download. And here you can see the CLC cloud module. Um, it, we can download and install this. If you simply want access to S3 buckets, you can use this plugin to access uh, your remote files. Uh, but in order to um, run jobs on it, it does need to have a commercial license of, uh, available. And so once we install it, we actually close this dialog box. The workbench restarts and now would end up with um, additional information in the application, specifically under connections, we'll be provided an AWS connection where we can add um, uh, add a new AWS connection. We can give it information like uh, connection name, description. This is the uh, AWS, AWS access key and secret key that I was referring to. Um, and it's really just important to know where um, you know your uh, cloud mod or cloud infrastructure is running. Mine actually runs in EU Central, just obviously as you notice that life was from Denmark. Uh, you can imagine a lot of our sort of um, uh, bioinformatics types of uh, admins are in um, in Europe as well. And then, as I said, once we've got that information. We can simply come down to any of our maybe template workflows. And when we double click on those to actually run, it will ask us where we want to run uh, the, um, where we want to, to run the workflow. And we can choose from a variety of different um, locations. Uh, one being you know, the CLC uh, cloud, genomics cloud. Um, and we have some options for selecting different, you know, queues or batch queues. Uh, that we can, you know, utilize for running those different jobs. Input data. So I always like to just kind of mention where the reads need to be in order to run the job. And so input data can be selected from AWS S3. So you could already, you could have fast key files that are already in AWS's uh, repository, and we can access those. Um, you could have data directly in base space, and we could, um, uh, utilize uh, that. And of course, we can take in uh, information from local file systems. Uh, the CLC server can in export data into uh, the cloud connection as well. Um, and any if you're choosing anywhere, um, anything other than from your local navigation area, um, really, it's going to be using an on-the-fly import 
which would just simply, you know, if we were selecting something that was in CLC file format that was in the cloud, uh, then we would just simply select the, the CLC objects and those would be imported uh, during the execution. Similarly, we could say that it was Illumina and we could have imported those FASTQ files from our read on the fly as well. And you can see here, you know, if we're selecting, uh, you know, import, uh, or, you know, locations other than our, our local, then really in our workflows, we should just have a workflow input and that just allows it to sort of choose that on the fly. Um, and of course, you know, if you are choosing anywhere other than, you know, AWS S3, the first thing it needs to do is move the data up to AWS, right? And so if we select our navigation area, for instance, then the first thing it needs to do is copy those files to the S3 bucket in order to be able to process that data. Of course, a lot of workflows are gonna be utilizing reference files. And I always like to point out that reference files can be anywhere. Again, uh, S3, base space, um, you know, local file systems, server file systems. Um, but one thing that uh, we've done is that any of our template workflows that kind of refer to our Kyogen reference sets um, will work without having to uh, download that data. So we, we effectively store those um, references in S3 so that way uh, they can be accessed much quicker um, and you don't need to sort of store that information within your um, repository. And of course, once we've started a job, we can actually visualize, you know, how far is that job run? Uh, we, you know, I can download and open results from here. We can find and look at failed jobs and maybe why they failed just by simply hovering over them. And so uh, from that, uh, even from within the workbench, we do get a lot of information with regards to how jobs are running uh, within the cloud and uh, easy ways of accessing and downloading data directly from that processing tab. And if we don't want to download everything, uh, if you will, from that process, then we can easily go into what we refer to as the remote file system, which would be your S3 buckets. And in here, we can go through and uh, choose to, you know, choose files that we want to look at. Uh, it should have the same folder structure that we would have um, uh, seen if we had run the job locally. Um, and we can, of course, look at execution logs. We can. Um, download and save objects, which I'll talk about in a little more detail. Um, and then we can also, you know, upload uh, data to specific folders as well. So that remote file uh, system does give us a way of either, you know, pushing data into S3 or also bringing data down from S3, um, just easy, easier than maybe using some command line tool to access that data. And so from that infrastructure that we need, um, well, we, we obviously need to have an AWS account with relevant resources uh, configured, the cloud module installed, uh, workbench license for both the uh, sort of license for both the workbench and the cloud module. Um, and then, of course, as I had mentioned before, you know, a configured AWS connection. From the submitting workflows, we're just specifying a work uh, our input files when we after we start the workflow. And then we can optionally download those uh, results. And we'll talk a little bit more about downloading in just one second, but I, I do like to just kind of bring in the application. So as I had mentioned, it should be really easy. I know slides kind of give you, it can, can be misleading, but you know, for downloading or managing our plugins, again, there's a little button in the upper right-hand corner 
for you know getting into this plugin manager. Obviously, I have it installed already, but you would simply go into the download plugins and you'll have a list that's populated and you can always choose to download and install. And of course, once we've done that installation, as I had mentioned when I hit oh, uh, close here, it's going to ask if I want to restart the workbench. And so the whatever plugin or plugins that you've installed, they will not become available until um, you actually specify that inform, uh, or restart the application. Um, and once those, uh, once you restart the application, uh, the any template workflows that would have been part of that specific plugin uh, will then become available and uh, along with any of the individual tools that comprise uh, that specific plugin as well. But for the cloud module, as I'd mentioned, what it does is provide us uh, within our connections, the ability to uh, configure that information where we can simply add our AWS uh, connection here. Um, and as I'd mentioned, it is important to just know what region uh, you're utilizing because you want to make sure that your S3 buckets and your uh, Genomics Cloud module are in the same region. I'm obviously uh, going to hit cancel here. I don't want to get into mine because my secret key and things like that are, are uh, or not the secret one, but the access key would be available or visible. Um, and so I'm not going to go into my edit one. We can just simply say, okay. And now, now that we've uh, created that connection with our credentials, we can come into our workflows and say, for instance, I want to run this identify Seed stars COVID-2 workflow. We can simply double click on this app, this template workflow. And now if we've never seen this before, step one will always be, where do you want to run it? Right. And we can always choose on our workbench. So maybe it was just one sample. I just want to run it locally. That's possible to do as well. But if we had a larger project, something that I needed to get turned around quickly, I could tell it that we're running it within the CLC uh, Genomics Cloud, and we can choose which batch that we're going to, to select. And here, you'll notice that it's just walking me through that um, the, the wizard here. And so we just simply specify, in this case, you know the, uh, the reads that we want to utilize. I'll just select a couple here, for instance. Right. And then when I click next, it says, well, what reference set do you want to use? And as I was saying in my slides, these references that we can that are available here for a lot of our Kiasi, uh, uh different panels and things along those lines will be available already um, within AWS's S3 bucket. So that way you're not storing that information. We will we kind of house that. Um, and so these are the, what references I'm referring to. And in this case, we're doing like a Kaiasi uh, direct SARS kit. And so I, I just select the appropriate uh, reference and then click next. Again, uh, not getting into too much of the details of the specific workflow, because I did spend a, uh, a one of these types of sessions uh, on wastewater you know, samples for SARS-CoV-2. So if you want to get into a lot of that information, we can provide links for uh, previous recordings as well. Um, so we're just going to say that each of my samples is effectively a unit. And so uh, I want each of those to, to run separately from each other. And now I'm just going to be able to configure any of the unlocked parameters that are available within that workflow until we get to sort of what we see here, step nine. And step nine is telling me, well, where do I want to save that bucket or save the results, I'm sorry. And I can choose what bucket that I want to, to utilize 
Um, in our sort of setup, we have like a 30-day retention, 60-day, 90-day retention. Um, and so we can just simply select what uh, buckets that we want to use. Right, and so I can just create a folder here, click next, and now tell it to save those results. Now, what we can see is first and foremost is that it's exporting the data, right? So as I had mentioned in my slides, what do we need to do first is that the application needs to really upload this data into AWS. And while this is running or while this is exporting this data, I do need to have my workbench uh, opened and running. Uh, but once the job, uh, once everything has been uploaded to AWS, I can close my workbench um, and free up the license or uh, just, you know, go home for the day, something along those lines. But of course, I am uploading data before I can run that analysis. Um, and hopefully that just makes sense that we would need to have that um, sort of connection. So what? Once that workflow runs, um, as I had mentioned uh, in my slides, we have a lot of results over here in our remote folder. Um, and then really, this is just uh, a way of accessing the, the S3 bucket. You can see the same 30-day, 60-day, 90-day retention. Um, and we can choose the folder that we want to look at. And so when I ran that workflow earlier, we can see that you know there are um, uh, an output for like a genome browser output. There's individual sample um, outputs where we have, you know, reports, um, supplemental information, like unfiltered variants, and things called tracks, which are really our genome browser-like views. Um, and so in this case, when we talk about this workflow, it, it does generate a lot of output. So there may not be, you may not want all of this information to be downloaded. Again, you do get charged on the uh, download from AWS. Um, and so from this point of view, you could maybe select certain objects that you would like to see. Uh, generally, in this case, I'd probably start with a, a summary report uh, to see if there are anything that maybe is um, an outlier or if there are any samples that, um, you know, is any it has any issues or anything along those lines. And when we look at this, uh, we can see, for instance, uh, if we right click, it'll allow us to download and open. And if we open, it does not save that object at all, right? I can save it later, but generally I wanna maybe use the download and save as a way of sort of making sure that I don't have to redo this in the future. And I'll just save this into this cloud folder, or you could always create a new location to store that data that you're just going to, to download. Right. So downloading it just brings it into our navigation area or our local file structure. Um, I told it to go into this cloud folder. And here we have our summary report. And now I would simply double click on that downloaded object and we can visualize or you know review that summary report. Um, as I mentioned, maybe I'm looking at this as a way of, you know, are there any samples that are outliers? And you know, that's why I'm looking at this sort of summary report. Um, where I get information about, you know, my read mapping statistics, QC for targeted regions, or, you know, if there's anything that sort of seems like an outlier, uh, we might see that information highlighted in um, this report. As we can see, for instance, uh, a couple of samples have, a you know, a higher number of not mapped reads or a higher percentage of reads that aren't mapped. And so uh, that gets highlighted in that report. 
So when we talk about running that workflow or anything along those lines, as I mentioned, um, you know, the results are going to be stored in the remote folder location. Um, and we can easily go in and download or download and open or download and save any of the sort of outputs that we would want to from those given workflows. Um, again, they are not downloaded by default, um, just because again, that's sort of where there's a larger cost. And so uh, again, I would generally, you know, run workflows and then choose sort of outputs that um, I would want for moving forward. Um, if it's like a resequencing project, maybe I'm, I'm mostly concerned about, you know, a report like this in VCF files. Right. And so those would be much smaller than downloading things like um, a read mapping object or something along those lines. Right. Um, and again, sort of retrieving the data, as I had mentioned, uh, the the way that we can download that data is either, um, you know, directly after the analysis by right-clicking and, and just saying, I want to download and save or, or uh, from the remote tabs file or open them directly. Um, again, you know, I would say that downloading and saving is my preferred method just so I don't um, keep downloading the same object. Uh, one thing I didn't point out, but uh, is quite useful as well, is that there's actually a warning dialog box that can be configured for you know, a certain limit that if you're downloading a file larger than this size, um, you would see a warning. So then warnings aren't errors. They are simply, you know, hey, um, you know, we have a, you know, an, we want to give you information, if you will. Um, and that's where we would see that warning. Uh, again, it's configured within the preferences um, and gives us a way of sort of kind of managing and making sure we're just not haphazardly downloading everything that we that we want. Um, in addition, one of the types of views or uh, outputs, as I would mentioned, is sort of this track. Um, and oftentimes what will happen is that customers uh, and workflows will create what we call like a track view or that genome browser or a track list or that genome browser view. Um, and when we see this type of object um, and there's multiple entities to this one track list, it just requires that all of the files that are part of that browser uh, or track list be downloaded if you want to be able to visualize them. Um, and so it's just, you know, one of those things, because obviously this track list is effectively, you know, really just like sim links, if you will, uh, to uh, uh, data within your navigation area, for instance. If they aren't uh, downloaded, what we'll see is like unresolved track. Um, and if, for instance, there's some that um, tracks that you're not really concerned about, uh, you can always right click on them and remove those from the views as well. So as I had mentioned, a little bit of a warning, um, if you will, if you exceed a certain value, again, that's, that's something that you can configure. Uh, important to download everything within uh, a track list or genome browser view in order to make sure that you can visualize all of those uh, within the workbench. Um, and one thing like, you know, if I was to download large, a large volume of data, um, a lot of times I will use a, you know, command line or third party tool to do so. Um, but one of the things that we're looking at making some improvements to in uh, the upcoming release of version 24 
is going to be ways that we can improve uploading of you know folders and folder structures and downloading that type of information as well. All right. Um, I was just seeing if there's any questions that could be addressed, but I don't see anything at this point in time. Um, and so, you know, obviously we looked at from more of like the end user perspective, you know, how do I, what can I do within this uh, genomics workbench? Uh, why are we talking about leveraging cloud? Um, hopefully, you know, how to run the analysis within the cloud is pretty straightforward. Um, and also, you know, what tools that you would need, how we would retrieve the results. And so really what I want to focus on now uh, for the next couple of minutes is really, you know, how how is the uh, CLC Genomics Cloud infrastructure set up on AWS? Um, and so what we're really looking at doing is setting up, you know, an infrastructure where within AWS, we have an S3 bucket, right? We have a way of uh, managing this through console and vi visualizing logs and, you know, in case anything goes wrong. Um, and we also want to have this AWS batch, which effectively spins up you know, instances with the CLC workflow engine. Uh, and so that way that data can be processed. Now, the nice thing that's the, the way that this is configured um, is that n when there are no jobs running, then none of this needs to be active. So there's no um, cost that's just occurring, accruing uh, for just having things sitting, sitting idle. Um, so uh, you would only see the uh, cost associated with, you know, actually running analysis. And from a, a setup perspective, and again, for more for the IT folks, um, what we provide is a cloud formation template. Um, and this really sets up a standard resource. Um, and we do provide a couple of cloud formation templates for like additional uh, queues. Um, and what that sort of template sets up or that standard resource that it needs to set up is three, it sets up three AWS batch queues. I'll talk about those in just a second. Um, an S3 file system. And this file system is really for, you know, the application itself, um, not for like storing your results or, or bringing in your fast queue files. And by default, it creates two AIM users, right? So it creates two users uh, with that information about like, the access key and things along those lines. Um, and those two users are either a submitter or a browser. So you can make it so somebody's able to submit and review results, or you can make it so people can just review results. Um, and that's really controlled within um, a AWS, um, sort of their application or console, if you will. Um, and so if you want to create additional users uh, that, you know, so credentials for uh, specific people, um, you would do that through uh, AWS's console, uh, um, where you could probably just copy maybe the submitter um, uh, permissions, um, and then just create a new um, user for individuals that you want to provide access to. We do need to have an S3 bucket for storing the data. So um, one would need to make a, a location like our 30-day, 60-day, 90-day buckets. And these are being used, if you will, to store the results from the workflows that we run. And really, 
from an admin perspective, um, you can do a lot of configuration uh, with regards to the, you know, uh, the buckets, um, the batch queues and things along those lines. So you, you do have a lot of control um, as to how you want to sort of configure um, your AWS uh, infrastructure. And really, you know, from a setting up pers uh, perspective, um, if you're in your um, AWS console, you would actually just be creating a stack. We have a template ready because, again, we we provide that information. And that template is within an, a, an AWS S3 URL. And so within the documentation for our cloud module, there's a, you know, a, this uh, URL to this JSON file. Um, and once you point to that JSON file, you would be able to click next. And this gives us the ability to really build out those uh, infrastructure where we can see that the uh, the queues or batch queues that are being con being configured are going to be defined here, like the maximum virtual CPUs uh, for a small, medium, large. In addition, what's the disk size for the small, medium, and large? Um, and so, again, you do have some uh, configuration uh, or ways of altering sort of the default settings. Uh, but generally speaking, we have found these to be, you know, a good starting point for um, setting up your different AWS environments. And of course, once we've set that up and we have jobs running, you know, from the admin perspective, you may not want to, you know, utilize the Genomics Workbench for visualizing if a job is running or what queue is it running in. And so the AWS Batch or console view um, is quite useful as well. We can see, you know, if jobs are, uh, if they were successful, um, if they were running, and we can get information about, you know, what queue is being utilized, if it's a, the large, medium, small, uh, and get a good understanding of, you know, where that job is uh, being run. Cool. Um, and so any questions at this point in time with regard to, or I can just save them towards the end, uh, just seeing if there's any questions with regards to setup. Uh, I just saw uh, information about uh, downloading and, and moving it. I can kind of take that live as well at the end. Um, but when we talk about the cloud and cloud computing, um, the server, there's also, you know, oftentimes we get asked, you know, can I incorporate third party tools, you know, in my workflows or, you know, in, in this cloud module. Um, and in order to do that, we, you know, kind of going back to this image, um, the external applications is really a, a function of what we call the genomic server. So when we want to incorporate third party tools inside of the, you know, and run them within the cloud, we do that through the use of this uh, CLC genomic server, it allows us to sort of dockerize and, and bundle those external applications to then run within uh, the AWS EC2 environment. <clears throat> and again, that really requires that interaction between um, the CLC genomic server, which is really local, uh, a local application. Um, this could be running on a, like an HPC environment where, you know, you leverage the cloud for overflow computing. Um, or, you know, if you really want to incorporate third-party tools or algorithms 
Uh, sometimes what we've done is seen customers have a single server uh, locally, which is on a you know a beefy machine, but not doesn't have to be a crazy computer. Um, and what they do is that they utilize it for actually dockerizing images that they end up running within AWS, right? And so when we talk about the local environment, again, uh, it's going to give us that ability to wrap those third-party uh, uh, tools and be able to present them within uh, the genomics workbench. Now, very similar sort of you know <clears throat> requirements, if you will, for uh, having the cloud module uh, with regard uh, and integrated with uh, the CLC uh, server. Again, you know, a license for the server, a cloud server plugin, um, AWS connection. So again, access keys, things along those lines. Uh, <clears throat> and then we can actually set up uh, presets within the uh, server environment for those clouds and uh, or cloud uh, batch queues, if you will. Now, there's a couple of benefits here. Uh, if you could imagine if you were a larger organization and you had 10 users or 20 users that you wanted to leverage the cloud, you would have to create an AIM, uh, an, like an, an AIM user, or sorry, an IM uh, uh, user for um, each individual. Um, and if you wanted to be able to sort of track it back. Um, and so when you utilize a server, everything would be submitted as one uh, user and so it makes that sort of um, back-end configuration a lot easier. In addition, when we leverage the server, uh, if you do leverage like LDAP, LDAP or Active Directory uh, within your organization, we can still utilize that as a way to authenticate to the application um, and use that as a way to then submit jobs to particular batch queues, which when we have the server inv layer involved, we have a lot of control as to which groups or individuals uh, can submit jobs to certain batch queues. That could be very useful from a cost perspective or recouping costs, you know, so that way labs are paying for their AWS time. And then the other thing that's kind of nice about this, um, you can disconnect your, you know, workbench, you know, turn it off right when you start the job, because um, again, the data is going to be resided uh, in a server location. Uh, that's not required, uh, that doesn't require your workbench to be, you know, connected to the cloud because the data is not going from your laptop to the cloud. It would be going from the server environment into the S3 environment directly. And not only do you, you know, get that LDAP con um, abilities and things along those lines, uh, but we also can, you know, look at audit uh, logs. And again, what I think the most important here is really um, you know, how do we bring in external applications? And again, sort of part, uh, it's part of the genomic server where we can actually take, you know, as you can see here, third-party tools, things like, you know, Kraken, uh, Hello World, Docker test, if you will. Um, there's some examples that we provide in our documentation for uh, things like, uh, I believe, Kraken, um, MAFT, Bowtie um, are all sort of within the documentation for the genomic server of how you might, you know, be able to um, incorporate those different tools inside of your environment. And then not only can you provide access to those tools, but they can actually become part of workflows, right? And so if we were to kind of jump back into the uh, genomics workbench, 
kind of going back to that same identify Kaiseek, uh, uh, identify variants within say SARS-CoV-2, um, if we want to actually modify this workflow, we can simply right click on it. So again, I just highlighted it, right clicked on it and said open copy of the workflow. And we can see all of the different steps that are going on in this workflow, like trimming our reads, mapping them to the reference, um, removing ligation artifacts. Um, this has a, a is a targeted approach, though, so, you know, removing primers and dimers, you know, calling variants. And so all of these different steps are coming, you know, happening uh, for those uh, each of those samples running through this pipeline. But what we want to do, right, is modify this where we can take some external tool and bring it into this pipeline and then be able to uh, execute that application. And so for instance, if we wanted to look at um, some of the external applications that I have, um, if I wanted to incorporate Pangolin's latest, right? What I would wanna do is connect that to our consensus sequences that would be created. And so what we would do is just simply right click I'm going to connect this to a tool called Collect and Distribute, which will then, what it will do is just really create me a multiple FASTA file so I don't have to submit you know, one for each sample. And then once we've kind of collected all of those uh, FASTA files, then we can bring in that Penguin Latest, which again is an external tool that I'm um, bringing in from ooh, its integration within our genomic server. And what we can do is just simply connect the sequences from the consensus sequence list to Pangolin's latest. And whenever we're working with different, whenever we're working on a, whenever we're using a workflow, we make modification to it or any tool within the workflow, it needs to have an output. It doesn't like not having that. And so I simply need to right click on that results table, for instance, and say, I want uh, to save that table. And so <clears throat> very easily we can open up a workflow that's been a template workflow just by simply right-clicking on it, right? And once it's open, a um, couple of things that hopefully you picked up on, but um, I use drag and drop, so I can grab tools and just drag and drop them into this workflow editor, right? And that allows me to bring in different tools from the, you know, toolbox section of the, um, well, yeah, bring in uh, uh, different tools from uh, the toolbox. Um, and then, you know, connect them to uh, the appropriate um, outputs or the appropriate functions that I want outputted. And then last, what we'll notice is it says it needs to be saved, right? So it doesn't like the fact that this is not saved. And so we'll simply save this uh, workflow. And if I want to, I can simply, I could run this as a, um, a test or we can create an installation. Uh, I'll point out the installation that's sort of the the real way that we like to do this. Uh, and namely because we can we can set information like who created the workflow. Um, is there a version that we're looking at? And the main reason that that might be beneficial is that you make some modifications uh, and we'll say Pangolin latest. Right. And so I made some changes to this workflow. Uh, we added Pangolin's latest and maybe that I'll, I'll add that information in here too. Now I can, if I want to create an installer for somebody else's computer, and that means I could say, hey, bundle all of these references. 
So that way, when I provide them the workflow, they don't have to fetch these reference files. Um, for today's purpose, again, I'm just going to simply ignore them because uh, all of those references will reside within uh, the uh, server environment or within the cloud uh, module environment. And so once that workflow has been installed, we will now see that within my installed workflows, we will have our own copy of this. And from an execution point of view, just like we did before, uh, we are going to double click on the workflow and then it's gonna ask where we want to run this. Interesting, right? What we'll notice is that when I bring in that uh, Docker image, the only place that I can run it with is within that cloud module because uh, Pangolin latest cannot be an executed from my local uh, application. Uh, and then from that, it's really very much exactly the same as what we had just done previously, where we simply just define some reads uh, that we want to utilize and define what reference set that we're using. Right. And again, um, pretty much a very similar type of output, if you will. However, when we look at the, the remote files, for instance, uh, let me just go up to Right. Um, we can see, for instance, so, you know, we have all of the same outputs that we saw before that would have been generated by running the default workflow. However, um, we also will end up with a report for all of the uh, Pangolin results. So when I uploaded each of these samples, we can see the, the sample identifier number, uh, lineage information, uh, information would be sort of brought down from it, the Pangolin uh, website. And we can visualize that directly within the application because it's just simply uh, a table that's sort of outputted from that application. Um, and so we can really easily integrate those types of functions within the application, within the genomics workbench and make it very easy to visualize those, um, visualize that uh, as well. So just uh, looking at see the um, how to bring in sort of external applications. Uh, again, the server is sort of the main component of, of being able to do something along those lines. Um, and so let me just grab. And just, oh, I was going to answer that live, live. <clears throat> so, uh, again, I, I'm just waiting for my server just to sort of populate real quick. And then I'll go bring it down. So within the genomic server, again, when we want to incorporate these external applications, it does require that we have the CLC genomic server as well, um, because it is the function that's going to allow us to take um, and go into the extensions, external applications, and take and build, you know, different uh, um, um, environments for, like, say, I want to bring in and utilize something like Nextclade or Pangolin. 
Um, and then here you can see that you're defining, you know, what is going on here, for instance. And, you know, in this case, it's wrapping uh, Pangolin. It's going to turn out what's the version. Um, it's going to take in sequences. Those sequences are effectively exported as a FASTA file from the CLC server location. And then it outputs a table, which is something that we can import as a CSV file. And that's how we visualize it within the application. Uh, and so these are built within the genomic server. Um, and then we can incorporate those uh, as external applications within uh, the uh, toolbox. And of course, those can also then be brought into you know, different workflows that we just saw where uh, that external tool will run uh, alongside or within that workflow. And then we can visualize those results in that you know, remote file system uh, after the job has finished. So again, that uh, um, tools are being brought in through the genomic server uh, is the way that we extend those. Um, and so the other question, like a repository for you know different workflows, we don't really have one for customers to share their own um, workflows. However, if we look at the uh, genomics workbench, there's a variety of sort of uh, workflows that we provide as template, like preparing raw sequencing data, um, basic workflows. And so this is for like DNA germline variants or, or like RNA-seq. And then really each of the different plugins that we provide, like we have one that's called the Biomedical Genomics Workbench. Um, and what this has is like, you know, uh, TSO 500 uh, panel types of analysis, chi-seq sample, whole targeted exome, whole transcriptomics, uh, uh, whole genome types of workflows. And so these can easily be used as building blocks, like if you're doing whole exome sequencing um, and you know you want to sort of modify something along these lines, we can easily open any of these workflows as like a copy and, and make changes as we see fit where uh, maybe we want to modify a given parameter or take out a tool, add a tool. Uh, we can you know utilize these as sort of building blocks to do so. And as I mentioned, each plugin comes in with their own. Like we have a, a plugin called Lightspeed. Um, this is where, I mean, I did a whole exome on my laptop in like 88 minutes. My laptop has 16 gigs of RAM. Um, we have a genome finishing module. Uh, we have one for like uh, tools for like supporting long reads. And so there's a workflow, uh, you know, specific for Genovo assembly of long and uh, long reads polished with short reads. Um, and so that way you don't necessarily, you know, need to build these pipelines. You can modify them, uh, open a copy, make those changes as you see fit, um, and then uh, go from there. Uh, in addition, you know, we do have a, a really good help um, or um, help support team, uh, which we can access really quickly by just clicking up here in the upper right-hand corner where it says support. I would uh, recommend giving us your email address so we can follow up with you. Um, and then in this message, I'm a big fan of like, uh, tell me what you observed and what you expected, right? Because maybe it's something in our documentation that's not clear, or maybe there's something that's just wrong. Um, and so it's always good to have that sort of understanding. And, and really, we can get a lot of information. In addition, there's a, some support resources that we can see from here, uh, a couple other places that we can access it. But uh, I'm a big fan of these tutorials that are available um, and when we talk about tutorials, these are going to be broken down into, you know, different research areas, if you will, like introduction, well, um, 
next generation sequencing where we're looking at you know bisulfide sequencing chip seek um you can see de novo assemblies expression analysis uh all of those biomedical uh types of functions like identifying variants in tumor samples uh looking at tumor normal matched pair types of samples um and then of course if we keep scrolling down microbiome types of uh tutorials so there's a really long uh extensive list of tutorials that, that should hopefully be you know good starting points uh for getting familiar with tools um in addition we do the these types of talks on a regular basis so there are some that are uh going to be recorded that you could easily have access to and i can try to get that incorporated uh into the deck as well um so tutorials, um, video training, contacting support, there's white papers. And the one thing I didn't point out is like, if we are using any tool in the workbench, we will always be able to look at help. And so it's, it's uh, it will bring you directly to the portion that you are, or tool that you're looking at, right? So I would just double click on polish reads and then I clicked on help and it's gonna tell you, okay, well, how is this, you know, how does it do it? Oh, okay, well, is it based on some papers or publications? And you can see that we cite information, you know, when we, you know, utilize um, sort of maybe the math or something along those lines from uh, an external tool, uh, we take that information and incorporate it into um, the documentation, of course. Um, that leaves me with about five minutes of additional time. Um, I think that what we've talked about today, I mean, in an hour, uh, it was a bit of high level, but I wanted to give everyone a sense of all the different things that you could do within the CLC genomics workbench. Um, you know, why leverage the cloud? Um, how do I run this in my workbench? Sort of how do we deploy it uh, from a, an IT perspective? Um, how do we incorporate third-party uh, tools uh, and through the use of the genomic server? And the one thing I wasn't sure of if I could find, but I did, uh, I was able to find just some estimate of cost. This was done, I don't know, Life might be able to tell me, but a while ago. So I don't know what if these costs are from AWS are 100% accurate, um, but you can see here when we're doing um, sort of, you know, large types of analysis like uh, multimodal, you know, that we're seeing, you know, maybe almost $5 a sample, um, but it is, this is run on a large and taking about two um, uh, two hours to run versus, you know, if we take the same type of uh, panel, uh, maybe a little bit smaller data, run it on a smaller instance, you can see it's roughly about half, you know, a little less than, uh, a little more than half the cost, if you will. And so it's important just to make sure that we're choosing the right sort of instance size for the jobs that you're using. Um, but from a cost perspective, you know, these aren't massive numbers from, you know, costs from uh, AWS for the, the analysis types of component. Um, and then the last thing in my slide deck here is just really links to the, the documentation, the user manual, uh, the product information for the CLC genomics workbench. Um, and then of course, you know, plugin repository, tutorials, um, app notes, benchmarking, blogs, I uh, just like to provide people with uh, links that could potentially be useful uh, to get resource or information uh, that you guys need to to understand how the tool works or if it's going to be useful for you.
Cool. Any questions, Paul, that I didn't address that I could? I think well, you got them all. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, well, I'll hang out for in, in, you know the next five minutes or so in case there's any additional questions that kind of come in. Um, oh, this one. Oh. Um, I mean, again, without knowing your, you know, the numbers of reads and things along those lines, um, I'm not 100% sure the number of samples that you're talking about or the exact workflow. Um, so when you talk about soil samples, are you talking about like OTU clustering? Um, and if that's the case, I would expect the cost to be pretty uh, reasonable due to the fact that, you know, the databases there aren't huge. Um, but if we're talking about like large types of things where um, you might have huge uh, databases that you're matching against uh, in like say whole human or whole genome or uh, uh, or whole genome types of uh, analysis for back like taxonomic profiling, uh, those may take a, a bit more computational resource. Sorry, yeah, not not uh, overly specific. Uh, what type? What typical configuration for the server? Um, I, I see Life is writing in a response, uh, so uh, I can let him. Yeah, I, I typed in from the section that is relevant for that kind of work, right? Resequencing human genome. Yeah, uh, there is a section on how how much RAM we uh, we recommend, uh, and uh, you know it would you would see it's it's very different for the Lightspeed module that we launched uh, recently. I mean, much lower. So I'm not sure if the question is like what types of server, uh, what type of servers available. Um, so I mean, what we're talking about is really running in uh, AWS. Um, but from like a server perspective, I, if you're like asking what operating systems, I mean, Linux, Windows, Mac uh, would be, you know, supported um, from that sort of uh, OS perspective. Um, hardware wise, as long as it's what, like an AMD Intel chip, um, we should be good to go and not something like the Motorola G5 chips that don't really exist anymore. All right. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, everybody, for participating. This is a very exciting topic. Um, we'll get back to you uh, once we have collected all the info we wanted to know. And with that, let's close the game. <laughs> Thank you very much. Have a great day, everybody. Right. Have a nice one. Bye-bye.